Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. You know those things you're too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating? Like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme, and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. friends and welcome to the papaya podcast i'm your hostess trying her mostest sarah nicole and each week i'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that so get ready to get inspired get candid get real because we are all in this digital space together All right, everyone. Welcome back. Happy Monday morning. I'm literally sitting here with a coffee cup that says, what day is it? Because I worked all weekend and I don't feel like Monday even exists anymore. But that's the way of the world and careers these days. And today we're actually talking about careers and more importantly, how vulnerable women have become in their own careers. So we're bringing on a bit of an expert. Please welcome Kajal Bensal. Thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, I got your email and we were reading it through. I love having people on that are kind of experts in these fields that we don't often see on social media. We don't often see in mainstream stuff, but it's been since the beginning of quarantine. I've been saying, I think there's going to be a really bad impact on women. I think this is going to be bad. And I don't think we're going to see it and feel it for years. I think it's going to come in waves and ripple effects. But I haven't had anybody that like actually knows what's going on or has that expertise to talk about it. So truly so excited to have you on to, to discuss this and to kind of break down what we can even do in the world right now. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. I started my career in finance and finance is kind of something I think people go into when numbers come naturally to them, which wasn't the case for me. So in experience, like I really, I really had to work very hard to kind of meet that same baseline that a lot of people were already at because when something comes naturally. Numbers are not, not a natural thing for me. So. No, right. And when you're like in a program with people who have like chosen this as a career because it comes naturally right. to them, it becomes a lot harder to like, like, you know, just like be at the same level. And so, yeah, like I, I kind of got through the program and I started working thinking that like maybe the working world would be better. But then I just was like, I can't 
look at Excel spreadsheets for eight hours a day, every day. Like that's just not, like, I don't feel happy going to work. I'm super drained when I come home. Like I just knew it wasn't going to be the thing for me. Do we know people that are happy reading Excel sheets all day? I need to meet these people and like talk to them about their life. No, seriously, if they, if they are like, I know that that exists. I I've had it every once in a while where you're in an office and someone's like, can I organize this for you? I love a spreadsheet. And I'm like, happening. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There, I mean, they exist. It, it, like it's, I guess they're the people who we end up hiring as like accountants. Or the they have their work. Like, That's for dang sure. We need them. <laughs> yeah. But that exactly. makes sense. That didn't connect for you. Doesn't connect for me. Right. Either. And the thing is you, you make those decisions so early in life. Like you're like 18 when you get to school and decide like what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And it was also a really different time. Like it's crazy in the last 10 years like I graduated university in 2011 and you couldn't really make a business out of like an online presence. Like that wasn't really a big thing back then. Still a time where you would choose like fairly traditional paths as a career. And then I I had a year where I moved to Toronto and I gave my resume to this like uh, recruitment agency that specialized in finance and accounting. And they like looked at my resume and instead of trying to place me somewhere, I guess like they told me after my resume had these like telltale signs of somebody who just like wasn't happy in finance. So they actually asked me if I wanted to interview with them as a recruiter. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started. Wow. That's kind of interesting. Like not palm readers, but the resume readers. Like that's so fascinating that you can tell that from a resume. Moved around jobs Mm. a lot. I think it's just like these signs of like these indications of someone like not being super happy in the field. And then I I started working as a recruiter and it was like truly the first time in my life where I felt naturally, like it wasn't like I had to work so hard Mm. to be at the same level. It was like happening for me and it was all very natural. And I became like very successful very quickly. And it was like, fun, you know? And like, that was like a new experience for me. And then I kind of felt like, okay, I feel like this is kind of more it. And then while I was there, I was like learning so much about what employers look for. And there were so many consistencies. And I started to think like, I really want to be able to coach people on this. Like it can be the difference of like getting the job versus not, or getting an interview versus not. So I worked in recruitment for a few years and I kind of throughout the time I was working, I would write like all these notes down of things that happened in real life that I wish that I could coach people on. And now that's like my content that I develop and use. In January, I launched Spark. I help kind of on both sides. So I help candidates with their resumes and coach them on interview skills and that type of thing. And then I also help employers build job descriptions and screen resumes and that kind of thing. And sometimes there's like a match and I have like a candidate who matches what an employer is looking for. So I can kind of facilitate that a little bit. So it's all worked out really well. Wow. And January, which careers, it seems like a very, I don't know, unstable year for careers. Everyone is kind of, it's a, it's a volatile environment for everybody. Nobody knew in January what we knew in March. And then by March, it was like panic buttons by midsummer, people were starting to, you know, lose their jobs and start to struggle in managing what they were doing. I think it hit a lot of people that the circumstances of life are not always guaranteed. You're not always guaranteed to have your kids in school. You're not always guaranteed to have, you know, a two incomes coming in. You're not always guaranteed that the job you're doing has open doors. Suddenly it's, it felt like careers became this terror and this need in such an extreme way. So how was that for you starting a company that was focused on careers going into what is this generation's and the generation before us probably biggest life crisis, I would say. Yeah. It's funny that you say that. I, I think about that all the time. This is definitely the first time in my lifetime where anything like this has ever right. really yeah. happened. Definitely interesting. I don't know. In a way, it's like good. I don't know if I had known this 
when I had launched, if I would have had the courage mm. to quit my full-time job and do it. So I'm almost happy that I didn't like ignorance is bliss, but as far as how it impacted my business, like, I mean, in one way, like people don't necessarily have the in, like the disposable income to invest in a service like this. But on the other hand, because we had like this time in March and April, like a lot of people started to think about their careers and think about what was next for them, or they were getting laid off and they had to really pivot and looked for resources that would help them with that. The thing that was really great for me is that it taught me so early on in this business, what pivoting will look like and what you have to do when things don't go as planned. And I think having that experience early on is probably going to help me going forward. All right, friends, let's take a quick pause because we got to talk about one of today's sponsors. Our show wouldn't be possible without them. And you know what? This next one is one of my faves because I am a little bit of a fan of PC Optimum Points, and I'm always looking for ways to optimize how many Optimum Points I get. So if you are like me, a fellow Canadian who loves PC Optimum Points and loves redeeming those points on free stuff, I want to I talk about how you can get more groceries and beauty products for free because now you may be able to. PC Financial has a new no monthly fee account that will make you think about money in a whole new way. It's called the PC Money Account, a bank account that makes everyday spending just go further. The PC Money Account gets you PC Optimum points, hello, for doing everyday things like grocery shopping and online shopping, which we all know we're doing more than ever. And with the holidays around the corner, why not use those to get more points, which means more rewards, so you can turn that everyday spending into a little treat for yourself or somebody on your wish list. The PC Money account is a no monthly fee bank account that makes every dollar of your spending and your purchases go further with PC Optimum points. It works like a regular bank account, but rewards users with 10 PC Optimum points for every dollar they spend anywhere they shop. You earn 25 points in total per dollar spent at Shoppers Drug Mart. And as a welcome bonus, you'll get up to 50,000 points if you take advantage of introductory offers when setting up your account and adding payroll, direct deposit, or paying bills online. For Canadians who crave more from their money, the PC Money account can help you set savings goals all while being rewarded on your spending, enjoy free Interact e-transfer services, and free withdrawals at PC Financial ATMs across Canada. Now, I love using my PC Optimum points, especially around the holidays. This is the time of year where your budgets feel a little bit tighter, and it can be it can be a really great way to take that spending that you're doing, get those rewards, and start using those rewards even to kind of alleviate some of that pressure on your budget. So you can sign up today for a PC Money account and start earning PC Optimum points and redeeming them on those essentials. Go to pcfinancial.ca slash papaya to open a PC money account, and you too can start thinking about your money in a whole new way. That's pcfinancial.ca slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. And I've seen this year be so transformative for so many people in their careers for so many different reasons, whether it is pivoting, whether it's like kind of figuring it out in a whole new way, whether it is being vulnerable to your career because of these things and seeing a lot of families make decisions where one quits their job and figuring it out from there just to support the family. I grew up with two parents who had the same career jobs for like 25 years. Going into, I remember I worked in like a pharmacy when I was 19, great job, but I couldn't see 
see myself like doing anything different because I would get, I would sit and I would stay where I was. And then I would go into the next job and then I would sit and I would stay where I was. It would take like extreme life events, like getting married, moving, having a baby. These were the things that actually caused career changes for me. It's only ever been once in my life that I've had an actual choice to leave a job, to start something for myself or, you know, from one job to another, I guess you could say as well. It's so interesting at this time because a lot of people are being forced into it, into that change. But at the same time, we know like, and I've, and I've read a lot about that people kind of do get stuck in their careers and they don't invest in pivoting or spreading themselves out into something different because there is so much fear involved. And because we've grown up with, you know, parents who maybe stayed in the same jobs for 20, 25 years, it feels weird to pivot. But at the same time, the stats show that pivoting and changing your jobs is actually how to grow and how to climb and how to kind of create a stronger income or, or whatever that is. So what are your thoughts on that between you know, staying in a career, whether it's like chosen or not for you, pivoting every couple of years. Like, is there, is there positive and negatives to both? I would say that two things recruiters look for are duration of time that you're in a job and then progression mm. while you're in it. So switching around a lot is a bit of a red flag because then employers don't want to invest in someone who they're worried might leave them. But then staying in a job and not moving up or moving around kind of in the same role nowadays, that can be a bit of a red flag too. So if you can kind of stay at a job for like three to five Mm -hmm. years and either work your way up or work your way around just to show that you're really developing the skill sets while you're there and like five years you've developed a variety of skill sets. If you can do that, I think that's sort of what tends to win. And then yeah, like my advice would be kind of at the three to five year mark, start to look. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than you think it's going to. And it gives you the freedom to really be selective if you're already employed and you're not necessarily like desperate for a job, but you're just kind of starting to look. Then then the thing that you see that really stands out that you're going to be really excited about, like you're a little bit more confident to just apply for those and a little bit more, a little bit more excited, I guess, to apply for those as opposed to kind of coming from a more of like a place of scarcity or, or fear. Yeah. And I always think about that episode of friends when Joey and Chandler say to Rachel, if you want to do the job that you dream of, you have to have the fear in you. You have to quit your job as a waitress in order to have the fear in you to go after what it is you want. So she quits her job and she's like in a flurry. She's printing off all these resumes. There's nothing on her resume between serving coffee and cheerleading. I remember that being like, there's like, they literally only had two lines on the resume and they're trying to fill it up and they're going through this whole thing. And she yells at the guys saying like, why would you, why would you let me do this? Like, why would you let me have this and have this fear? And and they kind of all sit there like, oh, I don't know. But she ends up landing a job. They kind of, the joke being that her first thing in a fashion business is serving coffee. But as it goes on, she starts to climb the ladder in the career that she wants, but she needs that fear first. However, right now we're kind of in this weird time where people are forced into the fear and then people are making that jump because they're not able to manage anymore or they're not happy. And we're recognizing the need for that more and more and more than ever, especially now that like travels off the table and all of these different things. It just seems like a big time that people are both simultaneously holding on to everything and stepping into fear at the same time. What would you say to those who kind of have had the fear forced on them? They're now, they've lost their jobs. The one that they thought they'd be in for a long time, the pandemic has changed their world and their confidence is shattered. When every time I've seen, especially male friends, to be honest, but whenever I see a friend go through job loss 
it seems like it's like they're everything is is just now at a baseline. They're, they're they're rebuilding who they are. It's not even about what they want. It's like they have to rebuild their self-esteem to kind of be confident to get back out there and look for a job, which is really hard when employers are kind of looking for this confidence and, you know, this esteem in what they're doing. And you're so bogged down by the process. The fact that for a lot of people, especially in career jobs can take, you know, six months, nine months sometimes. Like I've, I've had a friend who was out of work worked in the tech industry, part of a division went under and he went with it. And it was like a good six, nine months of, you know, really going through the emotional labor of losing a job and also finding an amazing job. He ended up landing in an incredible job and he's doing so well in it. But I watched him kind of lose the faith that that would ever really happen. But that's kind of this year for us. There's so many people are in that boat, whether they came from something that was, you know, from foot traffic or from an online business that now is suffering travel, whatever it is, people are pivoting and they're also doing it with the fear. It wasn't their choice. This was now forced onto them. What would you say to those who are kind of really struggling to have that confidence to kind of go through that? What are kind of those first steps that they can kind of think of, reflect on as they kind of move forward? It's a really good question. And it's also a really good point. Like it's crazy how much our careers are attached to our self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It's the first thing we all ask each other. We always say, what do you do? What's your name and what do you do? It's always the second question. That's right. Yeah. And, and then it, the thought of like having to tell somebody that you actually aren't working right now, like it's, yeah, it definitely is very tied to self-esteem and your, your income is tied to your self-esteem as well oftentimes. So I think the first thing is taking this time to, as much as you can, and I know it, it's hard, but switching the perspective and looking for what the opportunities might be during this time. Maybe that means you have a little bit of extra time to think about what your next progressive step is in your career or what you actually want to be doing. Like maybe you weren't happy doing what you were doing. And this is a great time to think about like what would make you happier. So I think taking some time to reflect on like what that looks like and then starting to build a plan around how to get there. So if, if you're looking at what your next progressive step would be, and maybe that means that you might have to take a course or build up some kind of a credential, like maybe now is a good time to look in, into what that looks like and how to get there. So that's sort of one thing. Another thing is while, you know, while you're looking for work, we live in such a unique time right now where making money online is like more available than you know, and, and access to customers is more available than ever. So even if that means selling clothes on Poshmark or flipping things on eBay, like A, you'll earn some extra income while you're looking for a job, but B, it gives you like something to do when you wake up in the morning so that, you know, or, or like a little bit of purpose in the day, something to work on. So, you know, there's things that you can do kind of in line with your job search to kind of help with that. Yeah. So those are just maybe some things where you can start with. All right, we got to take a quick pause. We need to talk about something here. I'm nine weeks away from my due date. I can't believe I have to start thinking about things all around a baby. And you know what? Being a parent and being a parent is hard, like really hard. When you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that is absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as hard. Today, we're talking about Hello Bello. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, who I love, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. 
They have a diaper bundling service that lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs. I just got a whole pack of them and I'm telling you, they're so cute. I don't remember diapers being this cute. I remember them being small, but like the designs are actually so gorgeous. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. So you can take advantage of this by heading over to hellobello.com slash papaya to build your bundle. And Hello Bello will send you diapers on a cadence that works for you. Plus the shipping is free and cancel anytime. There's no gotchas. Get their super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door from Hello Bello. So like I said, if you go right now to hellobello.com slash papaya, you're also going to get 25% off your diaper bundle order. That's huge. That's a huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowouts saved. Hellobello.com slash papaya. Start building that bundle for 25% off your order. Plus, you get 15% off any add-ons like vitamins or wipes. One more time, that's hellobello.com slash papaya to take advantage of these offers today. And hopefully we just get parenting a little less hard and delivered to our door. Huh, I'm nine weeks out. I can't believe it's happening, but I can't wait. So thank you so much. And hopefully you check that out. And let's get back to the show. You just flagged a memory for me. Back when I was a stay-at-home mom, I was starting my search for a job and my son was going to start school and I needed something and he was kind of going back to school and and nobody would hire me. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. I had started working for my aunt to kind of even get anything on my resume and I had to drive 45 minutes to work one day a week for that one day a week of childcare that I could get before he started school as I was building my resume. And on those other days, what I started doing to kind of create income was selling things from my closet on Facebook Marketplace. And I would put them up for like $2 a piece and let it run like an auction. And then I remember every night I would like gather everything or like the next day I would gather everything together, label them, have it all ready. And it was like running a job. It was so fun and it was so exciting. And I felt so cool that I was generating income from things that just existed in our life and in our home that just weren't being used or that didn't serve me anymore. And there was no shame in that. I was actually so excited when I got to tell people, I'm like, oh my gosh, I made like $200 today just selling off things that like I listed them for a total of what would be 20 bucks and it went up for 200. And it it can be really exciting and fun too. And, And the one thing that I find, you know, a lot of people find a lot of shame in doing a job that makes them happy that maybe doesn't have the career you know, shtick that when, when somebody asks you what you do and you say what it is, it oftentimes can bring shame if it's not like to the level that you think that everyone is. But I was having this conversation with my kids recently because they were saying, what job was your favorite? And I was like, to be honest, my absolute favorite job ever was serving. It didn't work out because it was a hard job to have and manage a family at the same time in that time of life. But that was the best job I ever had. And I made really good money in it. And I had really good friendships that I had really good relationships in it. But there was that bit of stigma when people would ask me what I do. And I would say like, you know, I'm a waitress or I'm a server. And it felt like it was never good enough. So the second I could jump into a career, of course, that's what I was going to do. But now looking back, I'm like, man, I wish we had more conversations about 
what actually makes us happy? What, what does serve you in that way? And if you can financially make it work to do that, would you go back to it? Would you actually go back into the job that makes you happy? So part of me is like in the season, like now it's kind of a cool time to be able to say, okay, if we can financially swing it, what would just make me happy? And what could I do to serve that? Because this is a really hard year. And I don't think that a lot of us need to be worried about what people think when we meet them and we say, and they say, what do you do? I do what makes me happy. I'm a barista. I do what makes me happy. I'm, you know, selling clothes on Facebook marketplace. We have so much stigma attached to our careers And they're really, it can be really amazing to chase after these big careers, but it's also just as important to kind of chase after your happiness. So I kind of like that you touched on, you know, reflecting on what those things can be. But when we're talking about pandemic, especially, let's talk about women, because the one thing that really stood out to me that you talked about was that women were 1.8 times more likely to be vulnerable to this crisis than men. Can you kind of touch on that and you know, what that kind of means for us and, you know, what can we do to kind of strategize to minimize that risk for ourselves in our own careers? Women's jobs are 1.8 times more vulnerable to the crisis than men. So a couple of reasons for why that might be. The first is women are more likely to be the ones that volunteer to stay home. You know, if daycares are closing and they need childcare, like they will be more likely the one that volunteers to stay home, or if you have a kid in school and you're having to support their online education. The second thing is the pandemics really had a larger impact on the service industry than other industries, and women take up a lot of that space. So for those two reasons, you know, there is going to be an impact on, and exactly what you said, Sarah, like whether it's now or 10 years from now, we're going to see it. And I think one thing that's really important, and I really appreciate you kind of giving me some space to have this conversation is like, what I find is that people will report on these stats, but nobody like that. It's like, that's the end of the narrative. Like nobody talks about what the solutions are going to be. And the thing is like, this is not like a problem for women. Like this is a social and like economic problem for everybody. Because if women are bringing home an income, like that's going to impact your partner's lifestyle and spending and your children's lifestyle and spending. And, you know, in that same article, they were saying that if nothing, if we don't do anything about it by 2030, there's going to be like, in terms of global GDP, it's going to be $1 trillion trillion less. So there's an economic impact here for everybody. And so it's not really just like something that we kind of like sweep under the rug as like a a problem for only women to have to deal with. So I think in terms of what can be done about it, I mean, we we can definitely talk about what women can do, but I think it's almost more important to talk about like what we can all do, like what can employers do to make sure that this doesn't happen, right? So I think the first thing is really going out of your way as an employer to incorporate women into your recruitment strategy. So a lot of times companies will really seek like fresh grads, like green kind of, you know, so that they can hire people that they can build to grow with the company. And so they'll have like info. I mean, it'll look a little bit different this year, but they'll have info sessions at universities where they'll invite students to come and they'll talk about their company and they'll talk about the different positions they have available. And you know, and it's great, but if you can kind of look to see, like ask the business school or, you know, whatever program it is, like, what are all the student groups in that program? And if you can find ones that are like female focused, like women in computer science or, you know, whatever it is, and then just like take the extra time to personally invite, you know, say, like, tell them, like, don't just rely on them to see 
a sign on the board that talks about there being an info session, like invite them to come and like find ways to get women to come or, or, you know, whatever groups that would make a working force more diverse and more inclusive. You know, it's not that much extra work and it could have such a massive impact. So that's one thing. Um, I think in terms of when you go to interview candidates, obviously you want to give the job to the person who's most qualified, whatever that looks like. But if you're only interviewing like one type of gender and one type of race, like, you know, if, if, if four out of five of the people that you're interviewing are men, then the chances are like, like the stats are just kind of stacked in that favor. So I think really looking at, at the point of looking to see who you're going to interview, just making sure there's diversity in that mix so that there's like opportunity for other people to like meet with you and show you what they can offer. And then I think the other things that are really important to talk about right now because the working world has changed so much, especially now that like employers have been forced to let their employees work from home, which like there was so much fear around before. Um, I think it's time to really look at and maybe reevaluate what, how we measure performance. So like, you know, a lot of corporations still have this culture where like performance is really measured on like if you're in your desk at nine o'clock and you're there the full day and in less about like what you get done and more about just physically being there. And can you imagine like if we instead measured performance on like if you're able to get something done and how well you're able to get it done. If you set a deadline for noon the next day, if you allowed somebody to submit it at 8 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. like for a working parent, that could be such a huge difference, right? Like if you're expecting right? Like if you're expected to get something in by 5 p.m., then you may not be able to work at that job during the pandemic when you're having to like coach your kid through an online class. So um, I think just like building some flexibility around expectations and really trying to revolutionize like our working, you know, cultures and, and making it a little bit more flexible and accessible. And then also just looking at benefits packages, like as the world has changed so much, I don't think there's been a ton of change in the way that we offer benefits. But like I used to work at somewhere where I would get $500 a month for like like a variety of different services like massage, physio, whatever. But can you imagine if like you did like $200 a month for that and then $300 a month towards daycare or childcare, like how much that would help working women and working families? Like it's just really taking the time to look at it from those lenses that I just don't think is happening right now and is not conducive to the way that the world is working right now. Well, and I remember one time there was a company that I feel like it's Patagonia, but they essentially offered childcare on site for their employees and their retention rate was so high. Like it was record-breaking high. People wouldn't leave that job because to leave that job meant their kids were no longer going to be a part of their everyday. If your kid was in a daycare on site, you got to go and be a participant in their day. You got to see them. It changed their mental health game, changed so, so much. And I, and I always remember th- like about that. And I'm just like, it is so amazing how much that understanding around, you know, parenthood and families really anchor employees into their workspace as opposed to making them feel like a risk. I used to work in a job where I read resumes at the front desk. And I remember someone in the office in management, this wasn't in a, in a recent job at all. So it was a long time ago, but they would look, if it was somebody who was a mother, it was a negative. Cause they were like, we don't really want to have to deal with somebody who is going to have to take time off when their kids are sick. Like that's a risk for us. It just sat with me. And it really always ended up blowing my self-esteem because when I ended up coming out of being a stay-at-home mom 
And then a single mom at that, I went in with so much fear into getting a job. And I remember the day that I realized I was going to have to get before and after school care for my kids. And I wasn't going to be able to do the nine to five. I was going to have to ask for a 7.30 AM to a 3.30. Was my boss going to think less of me? Was this going to change our dynamics? And, you know, then there was days where I was going to actually have to, I was only going to be available from 10 to three. Could I work 10 hour days on the front of the week to make up for that? And all of these things that I remember just sitting and crying and thinking, I'm doing everything I can. I can't afford this extra childcare. I'm on a single income here. I don't know what to do. And I finally just went in and I talked to my boss and I was like, here's the situation. I will make it work. This is not your problem. However, I'd like to ask, can I potentially like, and I planned it all out. Here's what it would look like. Here's what it would, here's how I would work. And here's how I would ensure nothing will fall short. I even will make sure that I'm available after hours if needed, but these are all the things I can do to like make sure. And he was, it was like, I was fully planned with like a sheet of things that I could say to kind of potentially save myself from what was going to be like close to $800 in childcare fees that I just couldn't afford. And I was like two lines in, he's like, no, that sounds fine. That's good to me. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. And then I like walked out and I was like, it's taken me weeks to build up the confidence to have this conversation and all of that. And I wish I'd learned more about the stats around how strong women are. And because they, especially single mothers are statistically some of the best employees because they've got the fear all the time and they yeah, don't want, yeah. they don't want to be seen as a weakness. Let's talk about one of today's sponsors, which is Vistaprint. I've actually been using Vistaprint since my kids were tiny around the holiday season because Vistaprint is all about helping you create custom gifts that are so personable, they could never be regifted. I used to always love giving grandparents something really special, the things they love. You know, a lot of times when you ask them what they want, they just want pictures of the kids. They want items. They want all these customized little things. They want to celebrate those grandbabies they have or their daughter or their son or, you know, their grandpuppy that they love so much. And I always loved making these really cool gifts. And the reason I do is because gifts are my love language. I love intentionality around them. I don't just want to spend money. I want people to know that I care about them. And I think that's what I love so much about these customized gifts is that they really give you an opportunity to show that you care. Vistaprint specializes in unregiftable gifts, gifts so unique and personal that you wouldn't dream of passing them on. They're one-off gifts like custom mugs and canvas prints, photo books and wall calendars. They're the kind of thoughtful gifts that you really can't wait to give because they spark so much surprise and joy. At Vistaprint, you can also create your own personalized holiday cards, which I've done so many times, and you add your own photos and messages, adding special finishing touches like embossing foil and scalloped edges. So rather than giving just another unoriginal gift this holiday, make it unregiftable. Go to vistaprint.com slash papaya to get started on your unregiftable gift. The holidays are right around the corner, so don't miss your chance to get an unregiftable gift. Get started today. Vistaprint.com slash papaya. Now let's get back to the show. However, right now within the pandemic, within everything that's going on, 
it can be hard to have those conversations with your employers. When we were talking about, when you were sharing about, you know, as an employer, the different things we can do for flexibility, what would you say to those who are employees needing to broach those subjects with their employer and kind of be able to prove that they're capable of doing things while asking for some of that flexibility. Do you have any advice there? Well, I think one thing that maybe is a positive with all of this is that employers are being forced to be more flexible and to be more understanding. Like, so for a long time, you know, having like an employment gap on your resume can like, can cause some red flags. Whereas now if you see someone, the last time they worked with was March, 2020, like, Mm, you know what that's about. So I think I would hope that employers are willing to be a little bit more flexible through this time. I think, Sarah, what you did is perfect. Like if you can build a plan around, yeah, like not a presentation, but kind of build, you know, a conversation around like what you can offer and how you can, you know, make it work. I think that's like the best thing that you can do is just kind of show them that you are very committed to the work that you're doing and you want to be there. But these are the things that you need in order to make it like a functional situation for you. And I think most times if you are somebody who contributes to the company in a significant or like a relevant way, like employers are going to be willing to um, do what they can to kind of make that work. I also think one thing that's really great is so companies, you know, like Shopify, for example, they have really revolutionized the way that they offer things. So whether that's like flex time or, you know, unlimited or like whatever they have that they offer, like because there are companies now in the market offering these types of flexibilities, it forces the larger, more traditional institutions to look at what they can offer so that they can still be competing for the same talent. Like, like, like you said, you know, like those are the companies that are going to retain that, that talent. So, you know, I, I think in addition to the employee having to do the work to build a case for it, I think naturally the way that the world is going, we're going to see a little bit more from companies as a whole in terms of what they are able to offer for flexibility for, for their Yeah. Staff. And I think we're kind of gone from the days that my husband works at a tech company. I used to work there with them, but he now, we're, they've now been bought out. They're working at a bigger tech company. It used to be that they just were like, okay, free meals and beer you know, at lunch hour. And that was the way you retained employees. And now it's quite different. Now it really is about what are those benefit packages? What are those vacation days look like? How can we make your life more comfortable so that you want to stay here longer? So I think it's, the game is kind of tipped a little bit in a, in a couple different ways. And I, and I think those are good questions to think on and ask on as we kind of look into, you know, for a lot of people getting these new jobs and not just kind of grabbing at, you know, the lowest fruit and really kind of reaching above that and asking bigger questions beyond just, and, and just understanding that if you had to take something right now to get you through this season, know that you can still kind of go and do more after this. Like you can always switch it up. If you need to have a job in the interim, like I think that that is just as valid as needing to do any of these other changes, but I'm kind of wondering. So one of your big things is resumes. This is like my claim to fame, but I haven't had that many jobs, but I do love having it. I have almost always gotten an interview off a resume and people always made fun of me because I did it on colored paper, but I was like, but it stands out in a stack and they did it legally blonde and it worked. <laughs> and I ran, <laughs> off, I ran off of that for so long, but I don't know if that's a positive or negative, but tell us what are some things that are really kind of cool to put on resumes, to get us those interviews, to get us kind of in the door so we can start to prove ourselves because that is your first impression. That is kind of 
everything. And are there things like our social media that we need to pay attention to? What are kind of the bigger scopes of stuff, especially for someone like, I remember what it was like to have a 10 year gap on my resume. It can be intimidating to walk into a job interview where everyone else has been in that field for so long. What can we do to kind of get an eye catching resume, get our foot in the door? What are some extra little follow-ups, things that we can do that really can kind of potentially tip the odds in our favor? Great question. So I think the first thing that's important to know as you begin the process of a job search is that recruiters often will get like hundreds of resumes. And so they, and and the other thing is just to give you like some insight on what it looks like on the other side, not only do they have a ton of resumes to go through, they also often face a lot of pressure from the hiring manager to fill the role fast. So recruiters have to work fast and they look at resume, like there's a stat that says that Um, on average, a recruiter will look at a resume for six seconds before moving on. Yeah, which is crazy. So I think the most important thing you can do is put the information that's going to get you the job as close to the top as possible Mm. and get as much relevant information in that kind of first third of the resume as you can. And a good way to do this is think about all the key skills that you have that match what they're looking for. So if they're looking for somebody with Microsoft, like they have to have Microsoft Office, if they need to have payroll, like whatever that looks like, and put those on like a key skills section, um, kind of in the first top of your resume, because then right away, a recruiter can see basically what they're looking for, which is that you match what they're looking for. Yeah. So that's sort of the first thing. What also happens with that is once they see very quickly that your skills match what they're looking for, they then begin to read the rest of the resume with intention. So they're not just like glazing over it, trying to get through it as quickly as they can. Now they're like reading your bullet points to, to sort of look for the backup for the skills that you said you had. Um, so it's just a way to keep their eyes on the resume longer. I think another thing is like, it is really important to be applying for positions that you are like reasonably qualified mm-hmm. for. So not, you know, you don't have to be a hundred percent qualified, but you also probably shouldn't be like 0% qualified. So probably just like, well, look at you. It's funny because whenever I looked at jobs before and it would have like the list of like must-haves, I would always, if there was one, I'd be like, no, I can't apply for it. But you're kind of saying like, no, if you have four out of five, go for it. Learn the fifth. Oh, 100%. Okay. If you have like 60% of the qualifications, because the thing is you don't know who else is applying. If If everybody else is less than that, then you have a shot. Or if there's something else that wasn't on their job posting that you have that they think like, oh, that actually might work for us and we didn't think of it, then you have a shot. Kind of the resume. I think another thing that works really well, if you have to be like careful with this, but if you do it right, it can work really well in terms of getting notice. Sometimes what will happen is on the job posting, it will say like this position reports to, and then who, like the title of the person that this position would report to. If you find that person on LinkedIn and send them a message and it just says like, hi, this is my name. This is, you know, I was really interested in, um, I saw that there was this posting. I'm really interested in working for your company. This is why I really am interested in your company. I just wanted to introduce myself and let you know that I've applied. And just like one message, don't follow up, know that they'll see it. But then it kind of prompts them to look, you know, they'll look at your profile. And if you fit, then they'll look for your resume. Like it's just kind of this extra step you can take to, like you say, like tip the skills in your favor a little bit and get them to notice you. So let's say they get the interview. They've had the interview. They know there's like 20 other candidates who have also been interviewed. What are some key follow-ups? Because I've been in a position of like hiring before. And I remember two people did follow-ups that just made it like, oh, like I just liked them a little more because I was like, they they don't just 
kind of are interested in the job. They're interested in the job, but I don't know if that like is the norm for everyone. So what would you say in terms of following up from an interview, win or lose, what would you kind of say are some good suggestions there? Email them after the interview and just kind of say, I just wanted to say, I really had a great time meeting with you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. That's like something that could win. If you haven't heard back in like the time that they say that they get back to you, you can send them a follow-up and just say like, I'm really interested in this, like just wanted to know kind of if, you know, you've made any decisions, but I think the things maybe not to do is like follow up a lot, like multiple times or like say so like something like sometimes what happens is candidates will say like, oh, well, you know, you, they'll send you an email after, like a week after the interview and say like, well, considering that you told me that you'd let me know in a week and I haven't heard, I guess I didn't get it. I like, know. you know, <laughs> which like sucks because you, sometimes it just takes so much longer. Like there's often multiple decision makers and multiple people you're seeing. So sometimes the process takes a little bit longer. So don't count yourself out that way. You know, there's definitely ways to follow up that can be really effective, but there's ways that to follow up that can really like set you back as well. So you just want to be careful about how you approach that. Okay. That actually makes so much sense because yeah, I remember that there was a lot of guilt trips afterwards, but my favorite one ever that I'll say was somebody who sent a card because it wasn't an email. Therefore I didn't have to acknowledge its existence. <laughs> it didn't add anything to my day. It didn't, it's just a card in the mail. Obviously it was like mailed to where they did their interview. And I, it was just a nice card saying, it was really nice to meet you. It was nice to learn about your company. Good luck in the job search, whether or not like I was your candidate or not. It was really great to like get to know. And I was just like, wow, that was so impressive because it wasn't demanding anything, wasn't asking for a follow-up and didn't really need anything from me. It was a genuine thank you. And it totally changed the way I looked at that person in, in their intentionality around that job. It just, it's always stuck with me. It's been years since that. And it's always kind of, kind of stuck with me. Like that little bit of intentionality just kind of went from, she was one of them stacked to being like, okay, we've now got her in the top five. Like this is somebody we actually really are looking at. But I wanted to kind of just end on one thing because whether we're forced into it or whether it's choice, you know what it's like to go from a career job to working for yourself, but it is one of the hardest plunges to ever make. And I know you kind of talk in the world of getting getting a job and being employed, but how about working for yourself? And when is kind of like those tips and tricks to kind of knowing when it's time and maybe some advice on, on how to do that and how to transition in a way that makes it really work for your overall resume that if you decide to jump back in, you can jump right back in. I feel like I'm still learning that in a lot of ways, but yeah, I think as you're working for somebody else, if there are things that you feel like you could really teach someone or help somebody with maybe like as just a starting point to just like start to, but this is like just from my own experience, like start to note that stuff down and think about like what it might look like to help somebody with this. If there might be value in helping somebody with this. And that's just kind of a way that you could start. And then I, what often ends up happening is like that idea starts to build. And then you, you know, as you kind of continue to write your notes on like what this might look like, then you can kind of look at it and say like, is this something that I can make into a business? I mean, I was fairly risky in the way that I did it. I quit my full-time job and jumped right in. You can do that. And the reason that I did that was because I just found that like, I didn't want anyone to tell me that there was things I couldn't do because I was working for them. 
So, um, you know, I didn't want someone to say like, well, you can't have like an Instagram account because that's a conflict of interest or whatever the case was. You know, one way that you can start is just, it works out and your employer is like, okay with it. Um, To start to just do it on the side and see kind of how it works out. I have a lot of friends who did it that way and then it ended up being full-time because there was so much demand for it. One thing I think that's really important is not actually for the person who is deciding to launch, but actually like the friends and family and network around it. I think we do still live in a bit of a time with Instagram. Like there's so much judgment when somebody wants to like pursue something that is different than what is like more structured and more traditional. And I think like if I could kind of leave the listeners with anything for all of us, I think like just trying to be a little bit more empathetic towards people who, and just like warm and inviting towards people who are really like, it's so scary to put yourself out there and go on an Instagram story and try and sell something when you are like nervous. And, you know, so I think if we can kind of leave the listeners with anything and, and like, and this is something that I like try and do now too, because I like experienced it on the other side is just to be as supportive as you can to those who decide to like take the plunge. And there might be a day where you decide to take the plunge and you're going to want that same grace. So um, I think that's something that's really important as well. I remember hearing a quote years ago that said, women have always been looked down upon for making money and, or no, something around the fact that like women have always had the ability to make money in unconventional ways, but it has always kind of been looked down upon. And it made me think about kind of the whole creator industry or the social media industry and how so much has businesses have shifted into them, even mainstream ones. But at the beginning, it was a lot of women who were trying to make money in unconventional ways to support their families from a home base. And and there's a lot of history to it that I could get into, but kind of met with like this weird, oh, what do you do? Like that, it didn't seem legitimate enough. And yet now it is one of the top industries in the world. And it started off of people who had so many kind of, you know, side eyes and frowns and kind of looked down upon for that industry and for kind of building upon it. And it still kind of carries that stigma yet it is building so much. And the one thing I always love to say to people is even if you fail in it, or even if it doesn't work out for you in the long term, consider and think about all the things you've added to your resume in the interim. Think about how much you've learned, how much you've navigated through, how much you've kind of grown in who you are, whether you're a content creator, like how many people started their Instagram accounts and were like, what is Canva? And suddenly they're able to do these crazy cool graphics that guess what? If you get hired into a new job that has social media as one of their needs, you're going to be able to say, yeah, you know what? I actually did that for two years. And I was able to do this and that I was actually able to capture content. I was able to copyright. I was able to model style, like whatever you want to say it, there's there is risk to it, but there's also reward. And it might not even be in the season that you're expecting it. It could be in the seasons later. It could lend itself to a job you have in 10 years from now, because people love to do this. They love to say to you, well, what would you do if Instagram was gone? And what would you do if that industry dies? And it's like, then I would do the next thing with everything that I've learned from this season, with everything that I've gathered, with everything that has kind of taught me along the way. I'm going to slap it on a resume and I'm going to go next. Like that is, it's so important. So I love that you touched on that because I think that is when we talk about the fear, that's one of the biggest ones. Like what if I fail and we forget what about all the things we learn 
in the, in the in-between and all the stuff that we can kind of teach each other through it and kind of be supportive through that, that rise, right? It's, it's an uncomfortable rise. I know it all too well. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. But tell us a little bit as we kind of end here, tell us where we can find you first of all, and what a little bit more about what you offer to anybody that might be listening that maybe is ready for that career jump or ready for that kind of coaching through that next step in their career, whatever it might be, or even an employer to kind of walk through what it is you can do and what you're offering everyone. You can find me on Instagram at Spark Career Co. And my website as well as sparkcareerco.com. And you give great advice on those for free, by the way. Like it's, you give a lot of free advice just so everyone knows. Just a great follow. Yeah. And it's all from like real life experience. It's all like as I was doing it and writing it all down, like now that's my content. So yeah. And then as far as clients go, like I, I will work with resumes. So someone will submit their resume to me and then we'll kind of break it down. And often they'll send me like a job that they're interested in applying for. So there's a lot of analysis that goes into like, okay, what is the job asking and what does the resume have and how can we marry the two? And um, I'm very hands-on. I work one-on-one with the clients. You know, I'll book a call with them and we'll go through it in like deep detail and really try and match it up. Um, And then a lot of what the work is, you can kind of carry with you throughout your career. Um, Same with interview prep. If you have like an interview coming up, you know, there's a lot of things that employers look for that, that, candidates might not know. So it's a lot of kind of behind the scenes on that. And then on the employer side, if you are a small company and you don't necessarily have like a talent acquisition person, but you are hiring and you don't have the time to like build a job description or screen, you know, the hundreds of resumes you get in or do the reference checks. Like I do that as well. It's been really great to chat. And honestly, I would hire you just to tell me what I should say for weaknesses because I always mess that. <laughs> I'm always like, uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hugs, no, coffee. It's definitely... What else can we say yeah. here? <laughs> That's amazing. But I'm really glad that you touched on also like the, just like when you decide to launch a business, you have like a general vision of how you want it to go, but you have no idea like what's to come. Like if someone told me a year ago, I was going to be talking to you. Like I would not have imagined that for myself, you know? So you just like, you really don't know how good it could end up being. So as much as there is risk, there's also like such potential for reward. So I think definitely if anyone's thinking about it, like I I just would be so encouraging of that. Yeah. You're killing it. You're on TV giving job advice. I mean, it's so cool. It's so cool that somebody could actually shift their job into working in career building for people and career assistance in a time of a pandemic. And you're freaking crushing it. You're doing such a great job. So I'm so excited for you and I'm so excited for everyone listening. So I'm going to add everything about Spark Career Co. in the job or the job notes. I'm too in a career mode now in the show notes. And so you guys can all check out everything that we talked about today and kind of hopefully take some advice, whether you work for yourself, whether you are a stay-at-home mom and wondering what the future holds for you, whether you're thinking about taking that plunge or actually thinking about going back into a job, or maybe you've been struck by the pandemic and worried about the risk of your job while being a parent or a family member and wondering how to kind of gain that confidence to kind of bring a plan to your employer to ensure that risk is kind of mitigated. So all of the stuff we talked about today, I hope everyone kind of had something to take away. And you know what? If you didn't and you know somebody that does, send them this episode and hopefully it is going to tip the scales in their favor a little bit too. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. 
And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.